with me and we'll start. Father, we thank you for blessing us with your word. We thank you that you are here with us now. We ask for your grace and mercy to be uh, upon your word and upon our ears, Lord, that we would hear you uh, as we look into your word. I pray for your blessing to be upon this study tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure um, most of us, maybe not all of us, have heard idioms or sayings something like this. He had a thirst for adventure, or he had a thirst for knowledge, or maybe he had a thirst for power, or a thirst for vengeance. When we hear those kinds of phrases, what do you think of when you think of somebody who has a thirst for something like that? When you have a thirst for something, you've got to think about what it really means to be thirsty. And I want to talk tonight about what it means to be thirsty. And more specifically, what it means to have a thirst for the Lord. And even more specifically than that, how God himself meets that thirst. Those who are thirsty, he has things for those people. I don't believe they're for the satisfied. I don't believe these promises apply to those who don't find themselves thirsty, but they're contented with where they're at. Uh, so I titled this message, He Satisfies the Thirsty. If you would turn to Isaiah 55, should have the spine of your Bible pretty much broken into that because there's quite a few familiar verses. But in Isaiah 55, he starts out in verse 1 with the word ho. And that's to get our attention. That's to tell us that something very important, something very pertinent, something very necessary is about to be said. And we should listen because every time we see that, it's like saying, hey, listen. I've got something to tell you. And he makes an invitation. He says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Is it really that simple? I thought about this message. I pondered this chapter and I thought about it. And, and the more I got to thinking about things, the more I realized that what the Lord brings to us, what the Lord has given to us, is not always as complicated as I make it. I'm not including you. Some things are meant to be simply received. It's not about you and I doing something or meriting it or doing enough of this, that, or the other to earn something from God. But here he's telling people and he's inviting a specific people. And it's those who are thirsty. So he says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. It sounds very much like what Jesus said in John chapter 7, in the, day, uh, the, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And he said, if anyone thirsts, if anyone is thirsty, 
Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or out of his belly or out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Think about it. You and I, rivers of living water flowing from our innermost being is what he said we could have, is what we should be like, is what he's called us to receive from him. Is it really that simple? All we need to do is come. Well, in chapter 55 of Isaiah, we'll see that there are more. You have to start out thirsty. And I know I got to thinking early in my Christian life, I'm not going to say I was more thirsty than I was today, but I was thirsty. And I would spend more time at my desk and reading and whatever I could do because I was absorbing as much as I could to the point where my parents thought I was nuts. All I spent was all my time was at church or at my desk. And they thought I had joined a cult. They thought I was so fanatically gone that this, this kid's gone over the edge. All he does is read his Bible and go to church and work. You know, I had them eight hours during the day that you had to do that. But I had a thirst. I wanted to absorb everything that Jesus had for me. And what really turned the corner for me was when I was at the little bitty Bible school in upstate New York and I came across five tapes by a Dr. Hobart Freeman. Of all people, I'm just up there absorbing all I could, learning everything I could, and I'm going to the tape library, getting all I can. And what do I come across? Tapes on faith. And I realized that suddenly the Word was living. I mean, it it was before that, it was a lot of things that I hoped would be in my life. But suddenly when you realize and you're thirsty enough and God shows you something, you go, everything in here is for me. Everything he promised is mine. And it changed my whole life. Just just coming across randomly some tapes. And, of course, I could give you the whole... I could go into my testimony from there of how I met different people, how I got here. You know, you can look at all the... To me, I'm blessed every time I think about the connections and how how somebody from upstate Illinois, north of Chicago, could wind up through three other states and wind up here. That don't make any sense because i got no reason to be here except this. So when we think about thirst, as he's addressing here, people who are thirsty, when you think about natural thirst... And I don't know that there's too many people in here who've really... I mean, I've been thirsty. I'm sure everybody's in here had days in the heat of the summer when you're working quite a bit, and I have a tendency to overwork and forget to drink. And then at night, I'm, I'm drinking gallons of water because I didn't drink. I must have a thirst. So when we think of a natural thirst, we think of this... What? What would you think of? An intense desire... I have to have water. It's something that is generated from within us that says, I am thirsty. 
And I need something to quench that thirst. That's the kind of thirst that I believe these people he's addressing should have and are the ones that he's promising things to. Because people who aren't thirsty, they don't care if you've got a bottle of water, right? It's nice cold water. Yeah, that's I'm good. I'm not thirsty. Okay, then I'll keep it for myself. See, I mean, that's the whole thing is thirst is that that intense, almost demand for satisfaction, for something to bring satisfaction. Now, these people here that Isaiah is prophesying to are in a land that's what I would consider dry, spiritually, a dry spiritual place. And he's calling out to these people who are been in captivity and are waiting for their deliverer and are in need of what water brings, and that is revival, restoration, revitalization, whatever you want to call it, something that when you are dreary and tired and thirsty, that drink of water does an awful lot for you, doesn't it? It kind of rejuvenates you. And there's an awful lot in Scripture that talks about rain and drought and thirst and what that means in a spiritual sense. But, you know, the the Lord warned these people long time ago, generations before, that drought and dryness was part of the curse. Did you know that? That if they refused to obey God and would not incline their ear to Him and they wouldn't obey Him and do what He said to do, this is what He told them in Deuteronomy 28. He said, The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything, and He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until He has destroyed you. Why would they disobey God? If that was the threat, that their land was going to come under a drought and was going to turn to powder, that doesn't sound very thriving. It doesn't sound very fruitful. It doesn't sound very enjoyable to me. I have a certain, uh, because of the business that I was in, a landscaping business requires a lot of moisture to keep it active. Let me put it to you that way. And when drought would come and rain and, and dry periods of time would come, I would get stressed. I shouldn't have, but I would because things I had planted or, you know, flowers and all that stuff that we did as landscapers was now becoming stressed by the drought. And then customers got stressed by the drought. And then Jeff got stressed by the customers. (laughs) So I have this sensitivity towards drought. I'm sure glad this year we didn't really have any dry spells. Everything's lush and green and it's beautiful. We like it like that, don't we? We We don't like to think about what's going on in California. Because if you just look at pictures and you look at reservoirs and you look at what's going on out there, I would say that's a little frightening. Because water, that which quenches our thirst, is an absolute necessity to our staying alive. We take it for granted, water. But we can take things spiritually for granted. 
We can, we can find ways, as these people did, to quench their thirst other than by Him. And that's what they did. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 42, he says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. How many of us in here can say that? I mean, I'm serious. I have to ask myself, do I thirst as a deer panting for the water brooks? Is there something in my soul that is such an intense desire and craving for not what God wants to give me in a material sense? My brother Tom's been talking about the abundant life, and that's what I want. I want an abundance of His life in me so that His life is what is flowing out from us. I want Him. I want a thirst for the living God. I mean, we talk about knowing Him and... and getting closer to Him and all these things. And we should really want that, not just sing about it. So didn't Jesus say something in the Sermon on the Mount about hungering and thirsting? I mean, we know He said something, right? He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the promise is, they shall be filled. Now, He's only talking to those who are thirsty and hungry then, isn't He? And that's where I'm going to draw the line. There's the hungry and thirsty or the thirsty, and then there's those who don't see the need, aren't thirsty enough, aren't demanding of a need they have. They're not craving something that is so necessary to life that they're willing to do whatever it takes to have that. So Isaiah says... Come to the waters, you who are thirsty. And he goes on and says, And you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Isaiah's prophesying to these people and he's saying, Listen, it doesn't matter how much or how little you have. It's not about how smart you are, how handsome you are, how powerful you are, who your family is, or any of this. You who are thirsty, it's that simple. It doesn't matter if you're a king or a farmer. It's those who are thirsty can come and it says buy without money, which to me just means it's all by grace. You're not going to earn any of this. We can't earn it. It's all by grace. It's all what He is willing to give to the thirsty. He wants to give it to the thirsty. He wouldn't have cried out, Anyone who thirsts, come to Me, and I will give you that water that will flow out of you like living waters. But He goes on, He talks about water, which is very refreshing. We know water brings... Refreshment, it brings life to our human bodies. But he also talks about wine and milk. Things that we can come to God for and without money 
without cost and buy this and have it. And wine just is reflective of that which brings cheer, joy. I mean, wine makes the heart merry. And we all know to not take that to excess. Because there's plenty in the Scripture about that also. But it does say that wine makes the heart merry. Noah took it a little too far, and we know that didn't work out so well, but let's leave it just at that. Joy, merriment, wine. That's what it represents. Milk. What's milk give us? Nourishment. So here we have it. We've got life-giving water, that which refreshes us. We've got wine. New wine that brings joy and, and, mer- and merriment. And then we've got milk, that which nourishes us. All these things are for those who come to Him as those who desire and need and see their need of these things. But He asked them a question in verse 2. Verse 2. He says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? He's telling these people, he's asking them, listen, I'm offering you all that you need. I am the source of true water, true bread, and true wine. I am the source of all these things that you need. Why are you taking your hard-earned money and buying these things that doesn't satisfy. So what is he saying? He's saying, you're putting in a whole bunch of effort to buy something that's a substitute for what I'm willing to provide you through grace. It's a substitute for what He has promised. And it's like Jesus when he fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6. Remember, he fed the 5,000. It was amazing. I mean, that was they're ready to make him king, right? I mean, that's a big deal. He fed 5,000. Well, he gets in a boat and he goes to the other side. Well, where'd he go? And they seek him and they go all the way to the other side. And what does he tell them? That's great. He says, you didn't seek me because of the signs or because of the sign of who I am, you came because your bellies were filled. They weren't seeking Him for who He was. They were seeking Him for what He could give them in a natural sense, a temporal thing. He said, cease laboring for the meat which perishes. Nobody quit their job. That's not what He said. But he is saying to these people, why are you taking all of your efforts and metering them out to go and do and have and buy other things that really, truly don't satisfy like the things I'm willing to give you for free? Now, these people, like us, you know, we like to point fingers at it. it, None of this is ever about us. I mean, we know this, right? It's always about those people out there or these people hundreds of years ago. It It is about us, isn't it? It's always about us. Brother Tom just likes to be polite and not be ugly. 
But we know what he means. <laughs> I hope you do, because it's about us. So these people were spending, just like we do, time and effort pursuing things, seeking those things to bring the satisfaction of what God wants to give us by His grace. And that's where the dryness comes in. That's where for us we put out so much energy chasing other things. We're not willing to just come to Him and receive so he goes on, and here's what we need to do. Now listen, if you're thirsty, this is what he said to do. First he said to come. Maybe nobody in here is thirsty. Maybe you're all so content that you're, you're, you're just aren't that thirsty. Maybe there'll be a little salt in this message. Because I'd like to see all of us be so intensely thirsty for God himself that we would put out as much effort Seeking Him as we do other things that we look to satisfy our desires. So he says in the end of verse 2, the first thing he says is, Listen careful to me. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. We all know what that means, right? We all know what it means to listen carefully. Every meeting we come to, we listen carefully, right? I mean, our ears are almost that intensely desirous of hearing something that God has to say through a man speaking, right? I mean, that, we all know that. We never come to a meeting, ho-hum, another meeting, and somebody's going to talk for an hour, in fact, when you saw me come up here, you know, oh, here's another hour of Jeff droning on. But it's about listening carefully. Because it's the words that God speak that's bread for us. If we're not listening carefully, you're probably not hearing anything. He goes on to say, incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. Incline your ear. I mean, we know these things. These are the, these are the simple things. These are the things that say, you know what? Maybe I haven't been as attentive to the word as I should. And we're not talking about gaining more tidbits of information about God or about the Bible. That, that, I see too much of that. I see people who can memorize whole books of the Bible, but I don't see any evidence of God in their life. I just see somebody with a whole bunch of Bible knowledge. We want to approach His Word as if it's bread. We want to hear it in a way that says, Lord, when I come to a meeting and somebody's speaking, Lord... I'm going to listen carefully because you told me that if I come thirsty, I'll get some water. If I come thirsty and hungry, you'll speak to me. Do you want God to speak to you? 
I mean, we all know what that's like, right? When, when God in a meeting, you're there and you're intently listening and you're so desirous to hear from God that He speaks to you and you just, God spoke to me. It wasn't just another meeting. He met my need. I heard His voice. That should be of utmost importance to all of us. We think of Mary and Martha. We all know that story, right? Mary's so busy doing her thing and serving. And Martha. And what's Mary doing? She's sitting at the feet, at the feet of Jesus, listening to what He's got to say. And it says, leave Mary alone. She's receiving her part that no man can take from her. She's getting something. She's being fed. She's having her thirst quenched. So when he talks about bread, water, wine, and milk, we're talking about the true satisfaction that comes from those things that involve who he is in our lives. I mean, do you... I hope... Probably if you're old enough, maybe as you're, when you're younger, you don't realize this as much because you're still out there getting it. You know, I'm going to... Look at me, world. But see, like these people, you may find that all that getting, all that energy put into having and doing and finding substitutes for what God has already promised in, in order to bring satisfaction or gratification or whatever outside of doing it His way, you may find that is really dry after a while. It's not going to have the importance it once had, I hope, for all of us. There's nothing wrong. We all need to work hard. I worked hard all day today. And I'm tired. <laughs> But it's about the pursuit of other things for our satisfaction, as if those things could bring that to us. So these people that he's speaking to or he's inviting are those who have a thirst, those who have a craving, those who have a desire, and he makes them the promises. But he goes on in verse 6, and he says another thing. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. When we're given opportunity to seek the Lord, do we always take it with the intensity that we should? I mean, what do you do when you seek something valuable? You know, you know as well as I do, if you lost something valuable and you start seeking for it, how much energy do you put into that? See, now, now I'm getting into where I'm going to, you know, we're going to start talking about how this is interfering with my fun. Well, you're not thirsty enough. If you can't set aside some of your entertainment or other things that you're putting in place of this so that you can seek the Lord... You're not thirsty. Because when that first came to me one day, 
that I could seek Him and find Him when I sought for Him with all my heart, I went to do it. And He did. And He revealed Himself. Because why? Because He said He would. If you want to find Him, if you want to know Him more, you're going to have to seek Him. This is not... This is not casual Wednesday where we just come in here and we hope God just drops something in our hearts. We have to be people who are thirsty, hungry, and are seeking. Now these people, can you imagine now these people, before they went into captivity, they had the opportunity, didn't they, to seek the Lord? I mean, what does it mean to seek the Lord while He may be found? To me, I've got to look at that and go, is there a chance that He can't be found one time, one day, one afternoon, when I feel like it? Do I have the attitude that, you know what, I'm too busy right now, God will still be there next week, next year, next month? Really? He's God. But say these people are being warned that unless you turn and repent and come back to me, you're going into captivity. Should they have sought the Lord while he may be found? Should they have sought the Lord while the temple was still there? Because once all that was gone, what are they left with? A little late to start seeking the Lord, isn't it? You know, you hear this and you think, how many times... And I, 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 you know, I don't know, but I mean, how many times do people who are not saved hear the gospel, hear a word preached, and it, and it does something to their heart and they go, not right now. Or conviction comes on us. Or God challenges us and we go, not right now. Does God ever have to deal with you again? Is He obligated at all? to deal with your heart on that matter ever again. He's not. So he tells us to seek him while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Hebrews talks about there's coming a time when God is going to shake everything that is made so that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. These are the things... We need to be hungering and thirsting after. We are to be seeking first that kingdom which will not be shaken. Do you want to be found in a place when this world turns upside down and everything that we have placed our trust and confidence in disappears and suddenly everything is shaken and everything that is made begins to crumble and fall apart, you need to be the one who is in that unshakable place. Well, guess what? We've got the grace and the time in this age we live in, in this time of peace, to seek Him with all our hearts and call upon Him while He is near. Verse 7, he goes on and tells these people and tells us, he says, Let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to his own people, isn't he? He's talking to people who have followed 
ways of their own invention. They've, they've taken a course in life. They've, they've known what God has said. They've heard His promises. They have heard the invitations. They've heard the prophets preach. They've heard all these things of what God will do for them. And what do they do? They're not satisfied with that. They're not satisfied with the manna in the wilderness. They were never satisfied. They found that during that time when they were supposed to be totally united to Him and, 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 and devoted to Him only, that the world around them somehow looked good. I, I, I need some of this to be satisfied. I need some of that. The Canaanites, look what they've got. They got these, I, we can, we can go up in the groves and just build a little, we don't have to tear down the temple, do we? We can just have these other things along with our God. So instead of trusting God and God alone for what He had promised, they began to look around at the world around them and they were enticed by other things that they thought would bring satisfaction when in fact it brought them into captivity. It brought them into a dry place. And when we do that, we may find ourselves in a dry place. But the promise is, hey, you who are thirsty, incline your ear. Listen to my words. Seek me while I may be found. Forsake your ways and your thoughts, your intentions, your plans that are not of Him. I think about the church in general, I mean, everything is about me. Everything, all messages are about me. So if you hear any of this and it's for you, that's good. But this is for me. But it's also for us as a church. And we think about what happens when unrighteous thoughts or wickedness comes into an assembly and people practice these things and becomes leaven in a body. And we all know what leaven does. How, if I talk to a baker and I ask them, how much leaven does it take to leaven a whole lump? They're, they're going to say not a whole lot. But when we think about unrighteous thoughts and ways, we think about those idols that they worship, those things that they devoted so much time to because God wasn't enough. We need other things other than God. How about bitterness and unforgiveness, resentment and envy, jealousies? They don't exist in this building, I know. And we're talking to other people. But what happens when we hold on to those things and we bring them into an assembly? Are they wicked, unrighteous thoughts? They are. Now what happens when enough of that comes into an assembly? Do we see dryness and drought like in the days of Ahab and Jezebel? Because that's what they were doing, wasn't it? 
three years of drought because they were busy worshiping idols. And it took a man of God to pray after God showed them who he was and turned their hearts back to him. He prayed and it rained. And, you know, we're told, James 5, that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Is there one, is there just one person in here? Is there just one righteous person in here that is willing to pray and see great things happen, not just in their life, but in the church? Because it only takes one, doesn't it? It doesn't say the fervent, effectual prayer of the entire church. It's one man, a man of like passions. And maybe God's speaking to somebody in here, and you know what? I'm going to be that man. I see a need in my life. I see a need in other people's lives. I see a need in my church. And I'm going to set myself to praying and trusting God to bring back the rain that Elijah called back, that latter rain, that rain that when it falls on dry ground... It's a good thing because dry ground is not fruitful ground. We need the rain. We need the rain. So he tells them to forsake his wicked ways and his unrighteous thoughts, those things that are his own determined ways and thoughts, those things that, like he's talking about earlier, the things that cause thirst, the things that cause drought, and those are those pursuits of other things that they spend all their energies on to find satisfaction in, whether it be sports or cars or fishing or hunting. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just saying I could point out a few things in my life if I could think of any right now, but I can't. I'm sure there's one or two. But you know what I'm saying. Things that we put in place, we look for satisfaction in. So we're to set those things aside. Because he goes on to say in verse 8, what does he say? You need to set aside your ways and your thoughts. Because he says in verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. So he's telling these people, listen, the things you're doing, the, the ways that you've allowed yourself to go and the thoughts and intents that you've been having, they're not my thoughts and they are not my ways. My ways are higher. In other words, if I'm going to bring about a fulfillment in your life, if, I'm, if you're going to see blessing and water and refreshment and revitalization, it's going to be my way. Satisfaction in this life will be my way, not your way. So you need to forsake your ways and trust in His ways. And we think about Gideon. 
How was he going to do it? How was he going to destroy those 135,000 men? He was going to deliver Israel, right? And he laid out a fleece and he had the whole thing going and he made sure it was God. And then he went to deliver Israel and God whittled them down to how many? 300. Is that Gideon's way or is that God's way? That's 40 to 1. God is only glorified when we do it His way. He only receives glory when we set aside our efforts and our ways and come to Him and trust Him alone. That's the only way He's glorified. He's glorified when we, in simple, trusting faith, take Him at His word. That's what we're all about, isn't it? It's not about finding another solution to the thirst, to the dissatisfaction in life, or whatever you want to call whatever you think is in your life. I read an illustration when I was studying some of this. But when we think about God's ways and our ways and what it really means to trust Him, and to abandon things that we hold on so dearly to because we think or they give us an illusion of satisfaction, such as money or entertainment or any of these things that we pursue. But I read an illustration, and I'll just read it. It says, A mother, a son, and a daughter are clinging to the upper branches of a large tree surrounded by raging floodwaters. The rescue team in a boat cannot get right up to the tree because of the debris. But the distance between the boat and the tree can be jumped with effort. The team in the boat shout with urgency, Jump! Jump! But the family members are afraid. Finally, summoning up the courage, the son jumps and lands safely in the boat. Then the daughter jumps. She falls short of the boat and lands in the water, but the, but the rescuers are ready and quickly pull her into the boat. Now the rescuers, along with the son and the daughter, plead with the mother, Jump! Jump! You can do it! We'll catch you if you fall short. There is a compelling urgency in the invitation, but she is afraid. And as she debates whether to jump or remain in the apparent safety of the tree, there is a terrible crack. The tree falls and she is swept away with it. That's a picture of any of us who are unwilling to let go of things we hold to so dearly and consider secure instead of simply trusting God. It's it's not that difficult, is it? But we tend to want to cling to things that give us an alternative We think there's security in those upper branches of that large tree as the raging floodwaters are going by. And we're told, jump. I'll save you. I am the one who will rescue you. So those who in this world seemingly have plenty are the ones that are probably in the worst mindset of all. 
Because the Laodicean church said, I am rich and have need of nothing. When in fact they were poor, blind, miserable, naked, and wretched. There's something about not having things. It's not about how much we have or don't have. It really is about whether or not those are the things that we cling so dearly to to bring us satisfaction, to bring us that relief from drought. Luke 14 talks about, among other things, those who would be his disciple and follow him, right? We're to hate father, mother, son, and daughter. If you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. But he tells a parable before that, and it's a parable about the man who gave, who, who put together a great feast, and he invited people to come to this feast that he laid out. And what did they tell him? I mean, I'm sure it was a wonderful feast, right? And the first one said, you know what? Tell the master I bought a piece of land. One said, I bought an ox. One said, I got married. Well, that's a good reason, right? But he gave him, they gave him all kinds of reasons why they couldn't come to this great banquet. Then Jesus says, listen, unless you love me more than all these, you can't be my disciple. Nothing in this world can come between you and what God has to offer. We can't let that happen. We've always got to remain thirsty. We've always got to remain hungry. Now, he does go on and say in verse 7, after he tells these people to forsake their wicked ways, their unrighteous thoughts, he said, let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What is he saying? It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, right? Abundantly pardon. Maybe maybe you think you've really missed it. You know, I, I took an alternate I took an alternate route. I should have trusted God and I didn't. I, I should have done it this way and I didn't. I used, I had my own thoughts and ways about how I was going to satisfy this need in my life. Well, guess what? Return to the Lord and He abundantly pardons. This is, this is what we have. We have the grace that abundantly pardons. These people who are held in captivity are waiting for a deliverer. Our deliverer has come. Our deliverer is the one who in some of the final words from the cross said, I thirst. He felt the thirst that you and I felt. And what was he given in place of cool, refreshing water? Vinegar. Sour wine. This is the one who stands between us and God, our Deliverer, one who has tasted all that we could ever imagine and has taken our place. 
But when I think about him hanging on a cross and crying out, I thirst. And being given sour wine. That's not what we're being offered because of what he did. He's offering us cool, refreshing water. If we will listen, if we will come, if we will seek, if we will simply call upon Him. I'm pretty sure Psalm 34 still says that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. That's a simple, that's as simple a promise as you can get. You've got a need. You have a cry of your heart. He said he's hearing that. He hears it. He's not ignoring it. He hears the cries of his own. Verse 10 11, we all know these verses. It says, for as the rain comes down from the snow and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but waters the earth and make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word, this word that we so desperately incline our ear to hear. So shall my word be go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. Maybe you are feeling dry. Maybe there is a perplexing situation in your life. Maybe maybe you don't know what's going on. But when we incline ourselves to Him, when we come to Him as thirsty people, He said that He would send His Word like the rain and the snow. And it would cause your land to bud and be fruitful. Maybe you don't feel very fruitful. It's just so simple. We just need to come to Him, the source of abundant life. But the best part is verse 12. These people are held in captivity. They're waiting for their deliverance. They've got the iron yoke of bondage on them. They're separate from God, at least in a physical sense. They've been taken from, you know, their homeland. Their, their point of contact has been totally raised. It's gone. All the, all the furniture from the temple, all the utensils have been carried away. There's nothing left. They are now distant and they now are in a foreign land. And they're being held in bondage. And they're waiting for their deliverer. They're waiting for that day. And they're looking. And what do we have? We've got the one who said, I thirst and died in our place. He's our deliverer. And here's what He promises them. If you'll hold on, if you'll forsake your ways, if you'll give up trying to satisfy yourself and come to Me for the living water and the bread and the wine, if you'll just simply trust Me, this is what you'll have. Verse 12. He says, For you shall go out with joy 
and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord as a, for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Those who are willing to trust Him and trust Him alone, your deliverance will manifest. And you'll be like these people who will go forth with joy. The mountains and the hills are going to break forth before you. Your answer is coming. Your realization of your deliverance is about to happen. But you've got to stay with me. You've got to remain thirsty. You've got to remain seeking. You've got to remain calling upon me. You've got to remain inclining your ear to me and not looking to your own ways to fulfill what I've already promised. One last verse, Isaiah 52. Turn back to 52. Because this is what... we should be doing. 52 and verse 1. It says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing, but you shall be redeemed without money. Do you feel as if, you know, there's times when you're sitting in the dust? Get up. Enough. Uh, Enough. Shake the dust off. Our deliverer has come. He is the one who all the promises are yes and in him are amen. There shouldn't be any dust on us. If you've been held in captivity and time to get up, put on those garments, shake the dust off, and let's go. In Him, we've got all the victory we need. We don't need to look outside here or there, the world, or anywhere else. It's Him alone who is willing to give us abundance of life. And Jesus, in Revelation 22, tells John this. He says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. There's water to be had, friends. There's an abundance of his life to be enjoyed. And it's all as we come to Him, earnestly seeking Him as a deer panting for water. Hopefully, you see that need in your own life. Because if you don't see the need, you won't do it. Unless you have some deep inside need for that water, you won't ever taste it. You've got to be thirsty. You've got to be hungry. 
because I know that if we were to set ourselves to seek in God with all our heart, He would come to us. He would visit us. He would pour out the rain. He would rejuvenate. We'd see things happen here that people are believing for. I just want to read one one stanza out of a song that I've heard recently. And it says, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, my Lord, my soul, Lord, to you surrender. All I am is yours. Can we say that? Because God is so willing to meet us in our needs. All we need to do is come and be thirsty. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... We thank you that you have sent your Son to deliver us. We thank you that you promised to provide us with water that refreshes and cleanses and revives us. Father, I pray that you would give each one of us in this room a thirsty and hungry heart, a soul that desires you because of who you are, ones who would seek you earnestly with all their heart. Father, we thank you for blessing us all. We thank you for this time. We ask that you would uh, just keep us all safe and watch over us. We just look for you to, to just meet our needs as we set aside our ways and our thoughts and look to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, stand to your feet. Tell someone that I am coming to the Lord for that water and you can go home.